there's a, a very famous uh, verse from the Old Testament quoted often by many people famous and otherwise, cited in all kinds of situations, in times of distress and days of questioning and epics of want and even those of plenty. I've quoted it myself several times over the last few weeks, and throughout my life uh, I've heard it mentioned more times than I could count. And although I've been familiar with it from the very earliest days of my Christian life, I also confess to you that for much of the time, I've not really comprehended its significance. I only understood it in a kind of a very general way. But even that understanding was a good thing as far as it went. It reminded me that I can do very little on my own, and truthfully, maybe nothing of real significance can be done in my own strength. It reminded me that I need God to intervene in my life and intervene in my affairs. But it also assured me that God understood my need and that he would provide for it through his spirit. Now, the passage I'm referring to, you will have already discerned, comes from Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Those words were spoken through Zechariah to Zerubbabel, and the context was the rebuilding of the temple after the exile, a very physical thing requiring a, a great deal of physical effort. But it was also very much a matter of the heart. And so the will to begin and the resolve to continue, and yes, even the physical strength to complete the task, would come by the Spirit of God. And from that Old Testament passage, we understand God and people in some manner work together to accomplish God's purposes. But as we do so, we do so while we fulfill our destiny as his dearly loved children. Now, the book of Romans helps expand our understanding about that Old Testament verse. And as you know, we have been uh, the last couple of weeks in chapter 8 of uh, the book of Romans. And, uh, and that's all about the Spirit and how he enables us to live the Christian life. So I want you to join me once again, if you would, in that book, the book of Romans, chapter 8. But we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 17. And, of course, Jim will have it up on either side of me on the screen. So in chapter 7, Paul leads up to this discussion by emphasizing the first part of what uh, Zechariah said, that we can, um, cannot do this, uh, live this Christian life in our own strength. Specifically, Paul told us we cannot do it by trying to keep the law. And the law itself is powerless to help us in this matter because of the sin dwelling in us. So we need more, more than a written code, more than what we can bring to the table. We need God's Spirit. And that's the first part of chapter 8 states. It, it, it talks about the Spirit and how he meets our needs. And it does so in general and foundational terms, which I described this way uh, last week when we were together. The life of God in us through his Spirit 
in us and through us and out of us. Now, the passage we're going to look at this morning builds on that truth and is much more specific. Now, not everything I'm going to say today here really does tell us all there is to know about the Spirit. What we're going to discover is what Paul, led by the Spirit, wanted to communicate to that particular church. But as he speaks to them, he also speaks to us in our place of need. And what we find here in these verses is there are actually seven things that the Spirit does in the life of the believer to enable him or her to live out their faith. And so we're going to look briefly at all seven of those things. Verse 12 sets a stage for us by telling us we don't owe the flesh anything. So we read, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. There's a recognition here on the part of Paul of just how demanding the flesh is. It must have, it needs, it requires, it pleads, it whimpers, it cajoles, it deceives, it lies, it makes false promises. But Paul warns us, no matter how it approaches you to ensnare you, you're not obligated to it. And the beginning of verse 13 tells us why. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. And of course, that's the battle we're fighting, isn't it? That's why we need the Spirit. Which brings us to the first specific thing that the Holy Spirit does in us and through us so we can live out our faith. You see, he is the one who enables us to say no to sin. Second part of verse 13. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. See, the Holy Spirit is the one who enables you to say no to sin. Now, it's really a little bit more dramatic than that, I suppose. I mean, the Spirit enables us, in the language of the old King James Version, to mortify or, as other translations put it, uh, to kill or put to death the misdeeds of our body, that is sin. Which, by the way, I just want to make sure you understand that the misdeeds of our body doesn't just mean the things we do physically. It also includes those things that we think about. And it's the Holy Spirit who enables us to put those things to death. It's by the Spirit that you can say no to sin. See, there's no quarter to be given in this battle. The enemy is pure evil. It must be, and it will be, utterly destroyed. It has no place in eternity, and until Christ comes, we fight on. But again, we're not doing this in our own strength, though we know, don't we, in the heat of the battle, that it can feel as though we really are all alone? But, but we're not. We're, we're not alone. The Spirit lives in us, and His resources are infinite. He's the one who enables you, and He will give you what you need to say no to sin. Now, there are three things we need to say about this truth. First, the Spirit is there for you in these battles, but you have to turn to Him. You see, you have to realize just where your strength comes from 
and you must understand your need and you need to seek his help it's there but it's there for the asking secondly you may wonder why he just doesn't simply sweep in to rescue you or call in an airstrike or direct artillery fire against the enemy well sometimes he does sometimes he does just that and you know it and sometimes he does it and you don't know it now he does that sometimes because he's not going to let you be tempted beyond your ability but he doesn't do it all the time because he's not just defeating sin he's building sons and daughters fit for the kingdom of God and people who are fit for the kingdom of God, people like that are people who fight against evil. And finally, the more you fight the good fight, as you learn to rely on God, as you live your life finding strength uh, in him, finding your strength in him, well, the more useful you become. God can use you more and more to advance his kingdom because you're not always getting trapped by sin. There's an old story uh, that's told about an old tribal chieftain who came to Christ late in life. And he was describing to a friend of his the battle which played out within him. And he said it was like two dogs fighting, one black one which represented sin and one white one which represented righteousness. And his friend asked him, which dog wins? And he replied, the one I feed the most. Not a bad analogy, is it? Feed the flesh and it gets strong and it'll kill you. Feed the spirit, walk with him, turn to him in your time of need, and you discover his infinite strength which brings you life and builds you up and encourages you. That's the first thing that the Spirit does. He enables you to say no to sin. The second thing, specific thing that the Holy Spirit does is enables us to say yes to God. And, and we do that by following him. So verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Uh, this leading uh, by the Spirit is ours because we're the children of God. And as we follow, we're saying yes to God. Now, and I pointed out this, this before, but it really does bear repeating. You know, when we first come to Christ, we tend to think of the Christian life in terms of not sinning. And certainly as believers, we don't want to sin. And the Holy Spirit is there to help us in that battle, just like we just talked about. But that's not all there is to being a Christian. At some point in our journey we realize there is a whole other aspect to our faith. It's the positive side of it. We don't just say no to sin. We say yes to God. And when we say yes, we're following him, and the Spirit is the one who leads us. The fact of the matter is, we don't know just where he'll lead us. And we, when we do know the where, because sometimes we do, we don't know the exact path. I mean, God leads us a step at a time. Uh, it, and, and every time we say yes to God, we take a step, and then he shows us the next one, 
and he waits for us to follow. Good illustration of that is this uh, that passage in the Psalms, uh, 119, 105. It says, Thy word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. And, and you have a picture of a guy in the dark walking with a lantern. You remember the old kerosene lanterns? If you didn't use one, you've seen them. And there's enough light that's cast on that path for him to see the next step or so in front of you. That's the way God leads us, a step at a time. Uh, sometimes we do know where we're going, but I you know how we get there. So at some point in my life, I believed God had called me into the ministry, and then I was going to go to seminary. But I didn't know how I was going to get from where I was here to seminary, and I didn't know exactly what I should be doing while I was in there other than studying the Word. But God knew. If I only had let him, because I'm stubborn, <laughs> I would have had a better experience. <laughs> As it is, it was wonderful anyway. But I know that because I wasn't listening, I missed some of the good that I had. And God leads us. And this really is an ongoing thing. A better translation of verse 14, which captures the meaning of the Greek verb, the tense there, is for those who are being led. It's an ongoing activity. By the Spirit of God are the children of God. You know, if we had to find our way through a, a thick jungle or across the desert, neither of which had roads, we would be utterly dependent on a guide. We might not be able to see the way, the way but he does. And that's the same with our, 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 our God. He has a plan for us and a path for us, and the Holy Spirit will lead us step by step. That's what he does for us. So the Spirit enables us to say no to sin and yes to God, but he also delivers us from fear. That's the third specific thing the Spirit does, and, and maybe this is a preparatory for what uh, comes next, but I think it's worth exploring. I think so does Paul. I mean, he says it. He doesn't just merely go on to the next point. Paul, Paul states this truth in the negative. It, it prepares for what comes next by putting it in stark relief or contrast to what he's going to say now. The beginning of verse 15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. The spirit sets us free from the slavery of fear. That's who he is. And I think Paul states it this way, so you know and so I know that when fear begins to try to enslave us again, when it tries to do that, that's not from God. You know, sometimes saying what something is not helps us to understand what it is. Darkness is not light. No lie is of the truth. The one who hates their brother or sister does not have God's life in them. So when we see darkness or lies or hate, we know we're not dealing with light or truth or life. And, and when we are in danger of being enslaved again to fear, we are not dealing with the Holy Spirit. And I think that's important to know. I think it's important to know because a lot of us allow ourselves to be enslaved again. We doubt God's goodness or our own 
in salvation or that we're Christians we think we've just been too bad and God's had to set us on the shelf if we ever even belong to him that is not God for God so loved the world put your name there that he gave his one and only son what the spirit does instead of that is brings is, is what brings us to the four specific thing and, and that is that he puts into our hearts that we are God's children so verse 15 again rather rather than fear the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we cry Abba Father it's a spirit who brought about your adoption and he did so in a way that it is more than just a kind of a legal formality. He put it into our hearts. Our adoption is to sonship. We're not slaves or mere servants or employees or just creatures. We are the children of God. And the evidence of it is, is that we cry out that very thing from our heart. Abba, Father. Not I'm a child of God, but you, God, are my Father. And it's the Spirit who put that into your heart. And as you walk by the Spirit, that reality comes home more and more and more to you. Now, I need to make a, a, a couple comments about this passage in way of explanation. And first, the title of the message today is... Uh, the assurance of sonship, and um, some of you, well, probably not many, but some of you might uh, complain that's not very inclusive. And people of uh, my generation, we don't have a problem with that. I do try to be inclusive, but you know, people of my day, we didn't have that issue. I mean, I mean, we understood the generic uses of masculine terms. We understood easily enough that the word man could be male or female, and we discerned it without difficulty from the context. Now it has become an issue, and so for the sake of genuine communication, I, I really do try to avoid the pitfalls that some might fall into by using what has become customary way of speaking in our day and age. And yet for this title, I chose specifically the word sonship, and I think I did it for the very same reason that Paul did. You see, child would definitely have been more inclusive, and Paul uses that later, but son or daughter speaks not just to childhood, but to the whole range of the life of a person from children uh, all the way through adulthood, and, um, and I think we especially need to know this as adults. We need to know that we belong to God, that we are his son. And you wouldn't have wanted me, really. You wouldn't have wanted me to say the assurance of sonship and daughtership, would you? Really? In a title? <laughs> but but if I've offended, then please, I, I really, I apologize and I ask you. Now, next, much more important than that, if you've been around the faith any length of time, you already know this, but for those of you who may not, allow me to point out that that word Abba is like our word Papa or the word Daddy. 
It's a term a young child uses when referring to his or her father. And it's, it's tender, and it's personal, and it's intimate. And that describes our relationship with God. That, that's what God's Spirit puts into your heart when you come to Christ. Because that is your relationship to God. And sometimes, when I stop at my mother's grave, quiet moments uh, when she comes to my mind and I remember just how much I miss her. I often say, sometimes out loud, sometimes just in my heart, oh mom, no other words can quite capture what's in my soul. Passage of time doesn't change my heart's response to her, nor the grave, nor the hollowness because she's gone. She's still mom, and, and I cry out, oh, mom. But there is coming a day when I will cry out, oh, mom, there you are. <laughs> That's what the Spirit does inside of us. He puts that Spirit in our hearts. We cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit enables us to say no to sin. And yes to God. And he doesn't lead us into slavery again of fear. But he puts in our heart the knowledge that we are the sons and daughters of God Almighty. Now we're going to have to move more quickly through the rest of the passage. But the fifth specific thing the Spirit does is very similar to the one we just talked about. It's really a kind of a continuation and uh, maybe an expansion of it. And that is a spirit that testifies that we are the children of God. So verse 16 says, The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. See, there's an assurance which the Spirit gives that we're God's children. And here, as I mentioned, he would, Paul uses that word children, and it's inclusive. But it also recalls that we come into the kingdom like little children. As adults, we need that reminder. You know, we uh, we always seem to tend toward thinking more of ourselves than we ought to. <laughs> that is when we're not thinking less of ourselves than we ought to. We are neither more nor less. We are children of God. Now that specific work of the Spirit is similar to what went before, but then it's what he did in our hearts when we came to Christ. This is what he continues to do now. The tense of the Greek verb is present and active, meaning this is an ongoing work of the Spirit in our life. He continually assures his children that they are indeed his children. Now sometimes I know this is a battleground. Some people struggle with this assurance. And for those of you who might struggle in that area, there's two things at least that I think need to be done that you need to do uh, if you have that struggle. One is, is the need to take God at his word. It's God who says, if you call on my name, you'll be saved. It's God who says, the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. It's God who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he says, once he begins his good work in you, he will carry it on to completion. 
He says he will fulfill his purpose for you. Christ said he sanctified himself so that we would be truly sanctified, meaning that he has set for himself the task of making us holy. And if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. And greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Taking that in faith, trusting that, attempting even to trust in that, is the first way we fight that battle. And the other thing we need to do is ask for the Spirit's help. He will give you what you need. Enough. Sometimes just enough as he builds you into a kingdom man or woman. But the assurance will come, though the battle may be ongoing. The Spirit always assures us that we're the children of God. And the other way that he testifies to that fact that we're children of God, the way that it expands over the first thing, is that he shows that very thing to other people, whether they're inside the faith or outside. So he testifies that I'm a child of God to people around me. And the way that happens, I think, is God's life flowing in us and through us and out of us. You and I, if we know Christ, we're like a sitting on a hill we cannot be Paul told the Corinthians that we're the aroma of Christ, meaning that for some people we're the fragrance of life and for those on the outside, well, we're the smell of death. It's the Spirit that makes us that in all of those situations. We cannot help but testify about Christ who lives in us, and he can't help but testify about the God who lives within us. And, and that testimony is stronger when we're walking in the Spirit. Now, it's almost hidden when we're in the flesh. But even then, it's not quite hidden, is it? Even then, we're open to the charge of hypocrisy. And of all the charges which can be brought against us, that's the one that's the worst. To avoid that, we really need God's help. And so the Spirit is the one who enables us to say no to sin and yes to God. And he doesn't lead us into slavery and fear. And he puts in our heart the knowledge that we are the sons and daughters of God. And he continues to testify to that truth in our own hearts and to others. Getting close to the end, two more things. The sixth specific thing the Spirit does is to help us understand what we're going to inherit as God's children. Um, what we're going to inherit is part of the glory of Christ. So verse 17, now if we're children, and the Spirit assures us that we are, so he wants us to know this, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, we're going to share in Christ's glory. That's our inheritance. We're co-heirs with Christ. And what God has and he has it all, and all that he has is good. All of that is ours in Christ. And the Spirit wants us to know that. He wants us to know all that God has done for us. He wants us to know just how amazing Christ's work really was on that cross. He wants us to know that we're full members of the family. And we need to know it. It helps us to understand God's love better and more fully. And knowing that, 
are so wealthy and so rich can help make us more generous with other people. I mean, we have so much. We can share it with others. We want to share it with others. And knowing it can help us through the hard times of life, when the hard times come, and they must come. Which brings us to our final the seventh specific thing the Spirit does is he takes us through the sufferings of Christ, which we must share in. Verse 17 again. Let me read it again. It's worth reading again. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we might also share in his glory. The Christian life is not a bed of roses. <laughs> and even roses have you might have gathered that uh, things aren't always easy from the talk earlier that we were in a fight. But it's more than just a fight against sin. There are other hardships we have to endure. If we're to walk with Christ in this world, it's a sharing of his sufferings. And, and, and knowing what awaits us in glory can help us, but we still have to go through the pain. What we can say about sufferings are that we are sharing in Christ's sufferings. We, we don't go through them alone. Our Lord walks with us all the way. And you all know that poem, Footsteps, right? Man said he had a dream and he dreamed his life, you know, and as he was walking through his life, his feet were leaving the prints in the sand and, and there was two sets of prints. One were his and one was Jesus and at some points, you know, there was only one set. And he said, Lord, how come at the hardest times in my life did you leave me? And he said, I never left you. It was at those times when I carried you. We walk through these sufferings with Christ by our side. And if they ever get to heavy, he picks us up and carries us. We can also say this about the sufferings of Christ that we share in, they're redemptive. That is, in some way, and we don't always see how, when we go through them, it helps others. It may simply encourage them to see our faith, or they may find in you a fellow traveler on their dark road so they know they're not alone and there's a way through it all. Or maybe in some way you bear their burden, which they can hardly carry, and so you help them on their but our suffering is intended to be redemptive. Christ walks with us, and our suffering matters to others. And finally, we can say that in Christ's suffering, well, it's in some ways perfecting. That is, that through it, we somehow become more like Christ. You, you do know, don't you, that even the Bible talks about Jesus and says that he learned obedience through what he suffered. And once able to provide salvation. He was sinless. But to be the perfect man who could bring redemption, he had to suffer. And if Christ had to suffer, why should we think that we miss out? No servant, said Jesus, is above his master. And so through suffering, we will and must go through it. Christ walks with us. It's redemptive, 
and it's perfected. So what have we what have we learned today? Let me just summarize it, you know. It's not getting old to you. Let me summarize it. The Spirit enables us to say no to sin. And he enables us to say yes to God. He doesn't lead us into a slavery of fear, but rather he puts into our hearts the knowledge that we are the sons and daughters of God. And he continues to testify that we are God's children to our own hearts and to other people around us. He shows us what lies before us, the glory which awaits us because of God's love and Christ's work. And he brings us through the hard times as we share in Christ's sufferings. Now I have just one last question doesn't he sound like a pretty good friend? You see, as Christ was God's gift to the world, so the Spirit is his gift to the believer. He is how we live. this world and you sustain it by the power of your word. You are the one who rules. You're the one who provides redemption, sanctification and glorification. You have taken care of everything that we need. Christ on the cross taking away our sin, making us your children. And your spirit living in us so that we might walk with so that we might live in a way that makes our faith attractive to those on the outside and ultimately brings glory to you. And so we say today, glory be to our God and our Savior. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship one more time.
again for coming to worship at Y Bible. Enjoy this gorgeous day and have a great week. Mm-hmm.